No, it's episode 40 of Corporate Lunch. Congratulations, man. You made it. We made it. You made it. The big 4-0. Nobody else is counting, but you, since you count, counting. we want you to know that you made it to 40. I'm not the only one. You're over the, we're, Corporate Lunch is over the hill, officially, as of this episode. I get a, a, a tattoo hatch mark on my leg after every, <laughs> every one, so I just got the slash through the fourth... Sam just just takes a uh, what do you call those an exacto knife and just notches yeah. your calves. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I was just thinking about the tools that we have in the in, in, on our floor at the magazine. Yeah, that's what uh, Emily Bodie is here. What Hi. up? How are you? Welcome. This is the uh, we're doing back to back labels on fire episodes, and Emily in the fall issue of GQ Style or her brand Bodie is featured. Um, I have a question, Emily. Yes. Because you named your brand Bodhi, do you find people, um, I think I'm maybe also asking you this secretly from, cause you're from the South, which we're going to get into, by the way, there's okay. going to be a lot of Atlanta talk. <laughs> I was thinking this. about that on the way. A I was lot, like, I can't wait to talk about Atlanta. Atlanta talk. I'm always so intrigued. Um, as a northerner, do you find people calling you Bodhi in kind of like a bro way because yeah. you've made that in a way kind of your thing by naming your brand, your last name? Well, I feel like, I mean, I was, when I, growing up, I was always called Bodhi. So, uh-huh. and uh-huh. especially like in high school, I was called Little Bodie because my sister siblings. Was, yeah. uh, Did you play? How much sports? older was your sister? Two years. Yeah, and for sports, of it's course. A sports yeah. thing, right? Emily played sports like for real. Really? <laughs> Didn't you? Uh, not. Yeah. Well, that I went to a school like a yes. where there was like a no cut team. Yeah. So it was for real, but also on a no cut team. But wasn't but... there maybe some post high school sports? Yeah. Uh, well, I was recruited for colleges for softball, but. Yeah. See, <laughs> that's so. Dope. I decided fashion instead. Yeah. <laughs> she <laughs> should probably get on the softball GQ softball fashion. team. Is oh that, shit! Is that season still going? Wow! You know when a lightning bolt just like strikes? Wow! How did Sam? That was not, really genius. Sam was like the ringer on the team. I've heard, but. Uh, uh, you're the ringer <laughs> on the team until right now. <laughs> I know you were the ringer. On Professional the team. softball player Emily Bodie. <laughs> oh my god! Horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Have you played? When was the last time you played in a softball game? Oh my gosh, probably high school. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But uh, we're cleaning. I'm sure you still. My work. apartment right now, and I have a whole suitcase of like all my softball gloves and everything. What? <laughs> Chop <laughs> them up, make them part of the brand. Oh, that's a cool <laughs> idea. Make bags, <laughs> wallets. What uh, position did you play? Um, I played first base and third base, and it depends. Wow. Like Those I played hot for corner. Those yeah. are hard positions. Third base. Yeah. <clears throat> a couple of different teams like throughout the year. So I had okay. my club sports team and then my school team. So <laughs> so sick. So Bodie, people called you Bodie. Yeah. And people still call you Bodie. Yeah. Does it annoy you? No. You're I, cool. I, with it. Yeah, I prefer it. I mean, right? I guess I don't prefer it, but it just seems like so natural. Right. Hmm. Well then, Bodie. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Emily. You can go yeah. with Bodie, or all right. We'll, we'll see. see what what feels most natural. Um. So, I'm just going to, uh, you don't need to hide under the table or anything. I'm just going to talk about what you do for a little bit. Wait, can we just finish that thought? Because you were saying the South, meaning in the South, people often end up being referred to by their uh, last I mean, maybe I thought that was a universal thing. Maybe it happens in everybody's high school, and I just went to high school in the South. Yeah. But, you know, I like... I hear I hear bros like calling me Welch. Yeah. Welch. It's like ringing in my ears as we speak, and I was just imagining Emily getting a lot of Bodie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, definitely when I go home, people call me Bodie more than they do here. Really? It's kind of like yeah. a cuter nickname here if my college friends call me Bodie, whereas yeah. at home, like that's just what people call me. You know. 
I also, uh, uh, speaking of this, I also sometimes hear people call call your brand Bode. I know. Yeah. How does that feel? How does that make you feel? I, I don't really care. <laughs> Do you need an a- You could pick up that accent that Celine dropped. Oh, That's yeah. It's true. Right. <laughs> Bode. Yeah. yeah, that would be not right. Repurpose the accent. Um, uh, well, it's called Bodhi. Emily is a designer. It's based in Chinatown, mm-hmm. NYC. Um, and, you know, when I, when I first encountered your your brand and your clothes and what you do i thought it was all um like repurposed found fabrics especially quilts right that was the thing that sort of like jumped out or the the first thing that i saw and began to recognize is what you do um and then you had a show or a presentation during men's fashion week oh and also it's a menswear brand yes with a lot of i would imagine correct me if i'm wrong women who buy it yeah, we have definitely probably half our customers female, but she's often buying for her boyfriend, husband. Right. You know. And maybe partially for herself. Yeah. yeah. And okay. for herself. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Emily had a presentation at uh, two New York Fashion Weeks ago. I guess that was like February. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked there and you told me that you not only work with Deadstock Fabrics, but also your own custom fabrics right yeah we're doing a lot of digital printing in brooklyn um some screen printing in brooklyn and korea and we even weave our own textiles in india so there's a there's a mix of old and new and it can kind of in an awesome way be hard to tell which is which until you really get your hands on the the garms (laughs) but it's it's started the the weaving your own and and printing is has been part of the evolution right yeah, I mean, we definitely, I've always done it even, you know, for doing other projects with other companies, but mm-hmm. uh, when I initially launched, we had really just a rack of one-of-a-kind goods, you yeah. know, whether it was made from quilts, that was a huge bulk of the collection, but it was also made from antique kimonos or, mm-hmm. you know, other dead stock textiles. So. And now I know that, like, you were recently in India, which we'll talk about, but were those initially sourced from here in New York or were you already traveling, collecting textiles? Had you been collecting textiles before you started a brand? Yeah, I grew up antiquing uh, all, you know, around the South, but also in Massachusetts where both of my parents are from. Uh-huh. So a lot of my textiles I had accumulated, you know, since I was little or it was always the way that people shopped for me, you know, gift giving like for my family was always a lot of antique textiles. So when I first began to sample for Bodhi, um, I had used some of those fabrics that I had had since I was a little kid. Cool. Oh, wow. So you just dipped into the personal collection. Yeah. Was it hard <laughs> yeah, to cut amazing. them up? Um, some things, some things like are already, they're called cutters, you know, they're covered in like stains and holes yeah. and they're made to be used for craft making, you yeah. know, whatever, if it's like making a pillow or we just kind of, I started making clothes and it, that was what was so different about it was taking something like these domestic textiles and repurposing them for clothing. Right. So you accumulated this collection and did you know one day you would make something or, or start to make clothes from them or did it occur to you at some point after accumulating a bunch of them that hey I can it kind of make happened. some clothes yeah I feel like throughout college I always sampled when you make a muslin you mm-hmm. typically do it in muslin fabric which is a, a lightweight cotton mm-hmm. or you know whatever weight that's comparable to what you're making and I always used vintage textiles because I thought you know if I'm going to m- spend time making 
my, you know, the sample, sample. Yeah. then I might as well make it in something that I like. Because <laughs> a muslin sample is kind yeah. of a finished, is kind of a garment. It's close, especially, you know, by senior year. I mean, at Because you went to fashion school, right? Yeah. yeah. We were, your last muslin is really close to the finished garment. And yeah. so I was, when I went to sample for Bodhi, I knew I wanted to start a menswear company out of college. And when I went to sample, I did a sample in a quilt topper, mm-hmm. like in a pair of trousers, and it kind of stuck. And I was like, oh gosh, this is, <laughs> this makes total sense. You know, I grew up buying vintage. Yeah. I grew up, you know, wearing only vintage to have one of a kind garments that are made on a larger scale. It just made perfect sense to me. Yeah. I sort of resent this question before I even <clears throat> ask it. Oh, I, I kind of like <laughs> protest my own question because um, I, there's something just kind of lame about asking you as a woman why you do menswear yeah i knew that was coming yeah. <laughs> everyone asks i know it's I just know. it's totally it's crazy. i gotta be that guy sometimes yeah. you know and i'm embarrassed about it but i gotta do it no it's good i mean it's just funny because no one i you know i wonder how many people ask someone like ralph Lauren, like how many why like, ties why, dude why, yeah <laughs> or like why did you go into women's wear yeah 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 but um no it, it makes sense i think it's definitely we were the I was the first female to show it uh, men's fashion week so it is yeah you don't see it as much wait what yeah I was the in first, New York mm-hmm. there were other girls that showed that season but that was the first season that female designers showed during men's fashion week that's, that's absolutely crazy I know. Yeah. it's crazy I'm well surprised. it makes me feel like my question is less stupid yeah I mean, because another, yeah, I mean, London Fashion Week gets filled with female yeah. I mean, designers. The one aspect of this is a designer, some designers are like, uh, you know, we've interviewed countless designers who have been like, I'm just making the stuff I want to wear. Yeah. And some, right. some people, men or women, whether, whether it's a man or a woman doing menswear or women's wear, it has nothing to do with their personal style. Mm-hmm. And we also see that all the time. Like somebody puts some collection out on a runway and then they come out to bow and yeah. there's no correlation between what the person yeah. who's bowing. Dries Van Noten comes Dries- out dressed like a science teacher and he just <laughs> did like the most wild, colorful, Mar- marbled, insane. psychedelic collection. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that. for you, obviously, and this is not strange, it wasn't about dressing yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not about dressing myself. I think that I mean, I enjoy menswear because I'm dressing someone other than myself. So mm-hmm. I have like an interaction with the other, right. which is really, I was always intrigued by that throughout college. Um, I was also a philosophy major. And I think that understanding why I'm making things the way mm-hmm. that I am, it was always interesting to me. We had a, there were a ton of students that made things because they couldn't find it or, yeah. you know, entire brands have started because, you know, you couldn't find that item of clothing that was missing in the market like no in pants yeah for instance <laughs> yeah, i'm just gonna pants softly anymore. blow up your spot until this <laughs> until this thing becomes real um but yeah i mean i when i was a kid i've always enjoyed menswear i always collected menswear i when i was a i think it was elementary school probably third grade i petitioned for the girls to be able to wear the men's uniform because it was so practical and awesome yeah. fucking <laughs> How'd awesome the yeah how, what happened um we well because it was a a school where we had these little jumper uniforms uh-huh. and we would be freezing on the uh you know outside we played on the oh my gosh what's the name it's the black it's like the concrete asphalt asphalt yeah like, and we'd be so cold yeah. and in atlanta yeah, or massachusetts in atlanta all right it gets cold in the it can happen. Hard yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> Two to three weeks. Okay. Also, like, I'll roll with it. It snowed cold. once, dude. The whole city collapsed, but it did snow. Yeah. Um, so that happened. But 
no, I, I've always been intrigued by menswear, uh, especially the historical aspects mm-hmm. of it. And a, a lot of our shapes are from workwear silhouettes and it's just the way, yeah, the way I design. And what were your early uh, men's clothes collections? You mentioned that you were collecting menswear. Oh, from what I was buying. So we have a whole row of antique stores in Atlanta. I mean, mm-hmm. as any city. Um, and I spent probably the bulk of my weekends like going through all these antique markets. And we have a big fair called Scott's. And mm-hmm. I was always collecting. I have a couple like men's jerseys or, you know, workwear pants or these. I used to buy all my boyfriend's clothes in high school. It was just was it like turn of century stuff or um, 50s, 60s? Yeah, Did you have eras yeah, that you turn kind of, of would century. go to? Jesus. <laughs> Some of it's no, we, good like God, man. <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking about like antique markets as different than like the salvage than like just well, going vintage. Emily and I like, got to got to thrifting. school by horse and carriage, yeah. so yeah. this is actually a fair question. Yeah, yeah. Um, All of our teeth are fake, <laughs> wooden. Yeah. No, I mean even today, like I still buy a lot of quilts from the 1890s, yeah. and we are buying a lot of you know really antique. <laughs> Sorry, turn of century. Um, but. But no, I, yeah, I definitely am more attracted to some of the novelty shapes, uh, mm-hmm. sportswear from the 50s. Yeah. And, yeah. and was some of that stuff, did you buy just because you wanted to have it and there wasn't a purpose in, or, or a wearer yeah, in course. mind? I mean, I don't think when I was a kid and buying vintage clothing, I wasn't hoarding it for my future fashion line. Yeah. You know, I think it was more like something drew me to this object like right. as a collector. Um, and now you know there's an entire room in my apartment that's devoted just to this collection and some of the pieces i have had since i was really little and my mom when she was in high school she only wore vintage so her vintage Uh back then is now you know i she passed it to me and Hmm. do your parents have uh, are they my dad is like a collector i mean yeah i mean it's like it's a it's a thing he just it's like it's who he is are your parents like that you clearly are my mom is my dad not so much yeah but yeah my mom definitely is what if you don't mind saying what does your mom collect uh she collects well right now she's collecting little horseshoe crabs like from the beach but i <laughs> think it, it spans she was a big antique collector her dad collected american mm-hmm. antiques um so her and all of her sisters it's a four girls and they all collect antiques. I mean, right. all their homes have a very distinct style um, and they all differ slightly, but uh, you know, one is more prone to collect like small miniature paintings. Yeah. And one does like, yeah, it's all, it's all, they different. all have their niches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how do you, I have, I think it's partially like, you know, genetic or nurture or whatever, but I, have some sort of collector's impulse and I have a really difficult time and I've been talking about it on this podcast a lot with like <laughs> moving shit along. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you keep from just being overwhelmed with the stuff that you've collected? Some of which has value to you and others of which like seems like you should hold on to it, but you can't really right. tell why. Like, I have an impulse. Like sometimes I just know that I don't need something anymore. Yeah. Which is weird. I'll, I'll you thank I'll, like, it and picture, let it go. No, but I'll. I'll oh, you gotta give it a hug and yeah. let it go. That's super important. <laughs> or you, you pass it on to like a friend, like someone that's yep. close, so it doesn't feel like you're actually getting rid yeah, of it. Yeah, totally. That's but sometimes there's such a strong impulse where it's like, I don't want this in my house anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, Get this away and from you, me. And you don't yeah. know why. I think you just have passed that point of being inspired by it or loving it. Um, right now, I'm I, I'm in the process of moving, so I have I'm breaking up my collection into things I wear, you know, mm-hmm. almost every day. And then I have studio slash 
design inspiration slash storage. And it's it's kind of hard. I initially wanted to have like two different segments. Like this is things I'm going to store like for my future life. And then this yep. is design inspiration. But it kind of all melds into yeah, one. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, it's how's difficult. Your, how's your bin game? Like what do you work? I want like to actually visualize what we're talking about here. Is it like In terms of like shelving and oh. yeah. shelving and bins? Is it like bins? a room like, full of garment racks or? It's, yeah, I prefer to hang everything. Mm-hmm. But we are, I'm getting more and more into bins um, because of our fabric scrap accumulation. Mm-hmm. So when we're cutting up a lot of these antique textiles, we keep all of our scraps for mending and applique oh, and cool. like future yeah. design projects. Um, so that's where we're really doing bins. But technically, I mean, you're not supposed to store antique garments in plastic. Yeah, what I've, do you, do yeah. you have to get crazy about like uh, uh, humidity control and, and uh, a little bit. Not I, easy yeah. in Chinatown. Bugs no. and mold and who knows whatever else. Like you must have to have some pretty sophisticated archival. For some things. I mean, the whole point of the way that I make clothes is they, they're made to be worn. We yeah. have had people buy things that they just want to have it in their home. You know, they buy it as, almost as an art piece yeah. um, or just an object for inspiration. But for the most part, you're supposed to wear it. So we don't want people to treat it. You know, you treat it well, but you, yeah. you still utilize it as an object. Yeah. But um good lesson right, for just yeah. everything. <laughs> Use it, wear it. Yeah, because otherwise, I mean, it's the same thing as like my parents you have our grand great grandparents china and you're storing in a box there's no point you yeah, know? yeah. It, you have it to use literally it. goes yeah. down through boxes yeah. of generations break it out Which eat is, cereal out of it in the uh, morning yeah and a, a lot of the homes that i get house calls for you know to go buy their family heirlooms i say to Ooh. them you know you don't have to yeah <laughs> you don't have to keep this can we in. do a whole episode on that <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> so like, pause on episode 40 we gotta start episode 41 right now we might need video cameras <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> just house calls um but yeah people are used to keeping these heirlooms in a trunk or whatever they're yeah family member brought it to america in and to i a lot of times i try to explain because if i won't use something like a bodice from the 1800s i'll say you know you could frame this or mm-hmm. people applicate onto a pillow or you know how to you reutilize your family heirlooms so we have people come to us and they bring you know their great-grandparents handkerchiefs or we had a really beautiful um commission which was a woman who was terminally ill in canada and she wanted to pass something on to her grandchildren and so we made all of her grandchildren shirts from her mother's handkerchiefs damn how did they how did she find you um she found me through uh it was a through my boyfriend's parents Mm -hmm. yeah so some personal connections Mm -hmm. people hear that you're able to do incredible things with Right. Even vintage stuff that's not in great shape or they don't know what to do with. Yeah, because otherwise you have a whole trash bag of handkerchiefs. People don't use handkerchiefs like they used yeah. to. Yeah. And and sure, you know, you might keep, you might pass like one to each son or something, but no one wants a whole bag of a them. Bag. And same thing with, you know, linens. Uh, we grew up, I mean, I'm sure y'all probably grew up, grew up the same way where you have a whole linen closet, but that's not the reality for, I mean, I don't have, we have a shelf, you know. Yeah. You don't really, <laughs> right. you don't have, the, it's not the same. Yeah. And um, there was a woman, Kate, the, she the brought. Linen closets now are full of uh, useless chargers. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a cor- Old iPhones. Yeah, yeah. Def- Past generations tech. Defunct tech. Yeah. 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 But we, I mean, we had another woman bring us uh, all of her grandmother's quilts because some of these families, you know, the grandmother quilted 
right. constantly. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, you know, after everyone picks their quilt, they might have a bunch that, yeah, have huge stains or watermarks and they don't know what to do. So you might as well get a jacket made out of it for yourself. Like, yeah. And that's why we do these, you know, more timeless silhouettes is because you can it's not something structured that you can say, you know, this is from this time period. Right. Or I mean, this to me is like cuts to the heart of what is special about your project. And that uh, certainly jumped out to me as soon as I encountered it. Cause you can feel it even just on like a first encounter level is there's like a real, there, sometimes it's hard to even get specific about it. If you just see somebody's shirt, for instance, but there's like clearly some emotional and mm -hmm. historical, and uh, to me, those two things add up to some some vague idea of like soulfulness going on um, with your project in general. And I think it's just like viscerally, instantly evident. Um, and that seems to me a huge part of why people are reacting the way they are to what you're doing. There's no question there. It's just a yeah. It's, it's just a statement. <laughs> no, <thank you. laughs> it's a really passionate a statement. <laughs> it is a fact. It's a goddamn is, fact. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, that's what I, I enjoy having studio visits so much because when people come in and they try it on and everyone has an emotional response that they can speak about. Like, yeah. this feels this way because of this. You this know? reminds me this of. This reminds me yeah. of. Um, or a lot of people come in, you know, they want to hear the stories because some of our items we have a very specific story that goes along with it. You know, sometimes we buy it and we know it's just from a certain time period because of the color or, you know, color knowledge of color theory um or pattern but sometimes i know oh this came from this woman's trunk who came yeah. from ireland and you know right and people love those stories and they can relate to it because you know they're domestic textiles like they grew up with it or their grandmother had them or you know they've always loved it and they didn't know why or yeah. you know it reminds them of their childhood bedroom or and something. textiles are um uh, I sometimes have conversations with Renee from RTH, who seems to come up every week, uh, but just about <laughs> universal truths. Certain things are universal truths, and uh, I don't know, it's something he's interested in, like a bowl is a universal truth. They're in every culture. The mm -hmm. Stool, universal truth. Textile, universal truth. Like, this isn't specific to being in the the American Northeast or to like your interest in India or any right. of those things. There are no cultures that I'm aware of where textiles aren't a part right. of it. So in some way we, there's like just such a base level connection to this stuff. So you at some point take these narratives that are intrinsic to the materials and make things that people want to buy <laughs> yeah, and like people want to it does kind of like you do trade in the fashion world and it is like I think the last time I saw some of your stuff in a store was at opening ceremony here in New York and it was on a rack and Dries Van Noten was right down the rack from you you were sort of neighbors there and it all you know whatever that was their merchandising decision but you know how, how at what point or how do you sort of take that piece into consideration like the like fashion yeah making that shit hot for the streets <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean yeah it's i guess we show on the fashion calendar mm -hmm. um we are a part of the fashion world because you know i'm in new york i chose to stay in new york mm -hmm. you know and that, i feel like that definitely is a choice it's hard to like be here survive here you know have a brand and a company and that's how we are you know a part of fashion and the way that we 
like who we dress, who we decide to dress a lot of times, you know, for editorials or mm -hmm. celebrity polls. And um, that goes goes into it a bit. And also, yeah, where you sell, because you don't, you're not going to sell at a certain store because you might hang it next to someone that you don't want to hang next yeah. to. And but um, yeah, I feel like a lot of our stores, you know, have similarities like globally we'll have a store in tokyo where there's drees and needles and and then oc who has drees and you know mm -hmm. and you just kind of it's natural you know the buyers are smart like they'll come yeah. to you but you you do have to be picky about yeah you know, where you're hanging and the kind of message that because the guy that's shopping with us you know he needs to know a little bit about the brand even yeah. if he doesn't know about the brand through us. So he needs to get something, you know, when he goes to a certain store, he needs to be able to have, you know, the knowledge. Right. Right. In case that's the first time he's encountering it. Yeah. 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 Because a lot of people, uh, what you were saying earlier, you know, it's hard to tell the difference between our one of a kind goods and what we yeah. hand, a lot of our hand embroideries in India look just like our antique embroideries. Um, and we're trying to preserve those historical techniques. And a lot of times the people that shop with us, um, when they're shopping in a store, they don't know if it's one of a kind or not. You know, we put it on the hang tag. But, uh, yeah, it, it takes a little bit of learning, you know. Yeah. Trust. I mean, in, in yeah. a way, there's al there's almost two lines within the collection. Or, right. or correct me, tell me how you think of it. But Yeah, but we haven't separated it yet. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to draw like a hard line i yep. think it totally depends on the store you know we have stores like essence or matches who really want the it's not that they don't want the one of a kind it just makes more sense for them to buy yep. things that are reproducible especially for e-com i mean you know that you, you can't shoot just one item unless it's right. a certain price and point then it's or, gone and, yeah. and then it's gone and uh, a lot of every almost every store wants some of the one of a kind because it mm -hmm. helps tell the brand story and yeah. the foundation of where we came from. Um, and then we have retailers in Japan that only want one of a kind. Mm -hmm. And even if they're buying into pieces that we produce multiples of, you know, small runs of like five to 30 shirts, they only want one of that 30. Yep. Um, just because they, they want to create that hype and yeah, that you know, on the that rack. Feel. And, yeah. Um, it, I just felt like when I came and visited you at your studio, that it was one of the first things that I was trying to, just because I know that the brand has those two things going on. I, like with each piece, I wanted to almost see, could I tell? Yeah, you can know? you tell? Or yeah. it was like one of the questions I wanted to ask. So mm -hmm. like, is this, you know, is this cut from a found garment or is this something that you're making? Um, but it's also cool the way that you've been able to um, – so that you're not solely dependent on uh, found or sourced vintage textiles right. um, because that would present its own set of issues. Yeah, I, I definitely feel right? you would. There's so much out there, but yeah. I feel it's not like, like you would run out. Yeah, you don't run out. It's also like we didn't, we wouldn't, we'd fall in love with an embroidery and I wouldn't get to experiment that with that. Right. Or sometimes we'll find a textile that's really dry and unusable. Um, you know, maybe it's threadbare and it's falling apart but that embroidery is so inspirational yep. and important that we'll then do it in three different colorways on right. a viscose that you can actually dry clean and wear for 20 years and, and nothing whatever happen yeah and then you find somebody who's capable of reproducing that technique that you fell in love with right right and i think that's it's just as important as you know the storytelling aspect of my brand you know passing on these found things and um 
a lot of these one-of-a-kind pieces, but it's also storytelling of these historical techniques, like right. why this embroidery was done at this time or you know where it even came from, uh, this kind of embroidery on this quilt, and being able to pass that on to our customers and you know people that are looking at our brand is really important and to find people who are still doing it and then right. through your brand to like support them yeah of course like what we were talking about um before uh before we started the podcast was you know a old pant factory yeah that we use who that factory's been around since 1925 and you know we ha- there's a much younger guy who bought it and is preserving those techniques and yeah. so we work with him and it's true, like, there's not that many people that, you know, whether it's hand-sewn buttonholes or a curtain, you know, in the back of the trousers, you know, it's just the way that you make clothing down to the way that you embroider or applique something on. I think it's important to preserve that storytelling. So your first time showing in was in New York two, three seasons ago? Um, when was it? Yeah, so we launched, I launched July of 2016. Okay. And then we started showing in February. And what was, I mean, my, from from where I sit, it sort of, it sort of caught fire quite quickly and has been probably pretty exciting for you ever since. What's it, what's just like, can you recap, recap the trajectory <laughs> for us of like, from that first time presenting to kind of like how things grew? Because it seems like you, I'm just wondering how you do things in this, um, particular way a very artful soulful way and then to have to respond to like an industry's various demands probably took there was probably (laughs) some sort of learning curve involved with that but also you know a good amount of excitement like what's it been like since that first presentation so since the first presentation it was i think a lot of it is yeah putting out the fires of like (laughs) what comes um i didn't know if we should run our business more how an antique store runs, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, what is most important to hire first. I think that was a huge part of the learning curve. Mm -hmm. You know, do you need production first or do you need a salesperson? Um, when to take something like, do you consider investment? I think after that first show, I, it was a big, I don't know. It was really crazy. We had all these people coming up, you know, asking to introduce me to investors from Japan. And it's mm-hmm. like, whoa, whoa, wait, this is my first season. You yeah. know, I, I don't even know really what my brand, if we're going to be wholesaling. They're or like, we'll let you keep half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but, second season, you have half of it. And then third season, quarter, it's going to be great. Yeah. But that, I mean, that happens. And I think it's important, especially for young brands to know that, we waited to open distribution a little bit. Um, There was no rush to take every single order. Um, We, I don't think we lost anything from Mm -hmm. holding out for some of these bigger e-com retailers. I don't think I would have been able to ship their orders, you know, if I had taken them. Um, Especially that first collection was all one of a kind, or most of it was one of a kind. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of, we were doing some knits and then I realized I'm not, ready to do a full knitwear collection yet you know that's something i'm gonna wait to show maybe my second year Mm -hmm. and so now that we hit the two-year mark a couple weeks ago congratulations thank you (laughs) um uh, i have a better understanding of where this brand is going Mm. um and And how do you feel in terms of like the the have you settled into like a relationship to your own uh 
vision for where it can go and like being patient about what it takes to get there or is that still like a daily negotiation when you have a new idea but you've also learned you got to take things one step at a time yeah both i've learned to trust my instincts of course i'm everyone says that you know trust yeah. your gut but that is I mean, so true. It's like it can't be said enough. Yeah. yeah. It, and it's it also really not so can. easy to do all the time until you it's sort not. of learn. Yeah. You can learn to do that better, right? Until various, like, e- either something's on fire or some carrot <laughs> is being dangled. Yeah. Either one can knock you off your gut. Right. Especially once you enter the fashion world, there's so much available to you. You know, coming out as a Parsons graduate, and I've worked a lot with the CFDA, and now I'm in Vogue Fashion Fund. We have access to so many mentors and also taking what everyone says with a grain of salt because they had a company that was wildly different from yours. And the kind of the climate that people were creating brands in is so different too. Are you like, I wish these mentors would back up. No. (laughs) (laughs) Go mentor somebody else. It is really, it's really helpful to know that something, an idea you have could work and those mentors help you bring it to life. Um, Especially the way that you talk about your brand and Mm -hmm. when you talk about your brand and that it's okay to turn down wholesale orders or that's, the mentors are really helpful with that or even going through finance finances was a big one yeah uh knowing what a marketing budget was supposed to look like for a menswear brand Mm -hmm. um a show is a huge expense yeah and to know what can happen because we do fashion week that was eye-opening right i i remember in college people you always you have all these thoughts you know, mm-hmm. oh I, I'll never show like that's so crazy to spend yeah. this much money on a show or but it, shows and lookbooks like the lookbook carries me through the whole season mm-hmm. and yeah. you get to work with all these you get so much out of it because not only are you creating these beautiful images and yes each photo costs x amount of dollars and it's right. mind-boggling but then you also don't have to pay for an ad yeah right, it, it's, right. it's yeah. like a given it to yeah I think there's there's a big learning curve to starting your own brand, especially because I didn't. I interned throughout college, you know, at Ralph Lauren and Marc Jacobs, and I had experience, but I didn't have experience. You can never have enough experience, you know, to start your own brand in that way. I right. think you just know when, if you're ready. And who have been some of your uh, most crucial mentors? Oh gosh, um, you, you know, <laughs> Mr. No, X. Shout out, Mr. Dying. X. My most crucial mentors, I mean, everyone at the CFDA has been super mm-hmm. helpful. Uh, I think I had, I worked at Reformation when I was in college. Mm-hmm. That was really helpful to see how, that was a brand that started with a storefront and they yeah. grew into like a global brand, brand yeah. uh, for women's. Uh, and then, yeah, working at Marc Jacobs was really interesting because we worked on special projects and it it showed me that doing things, you know, like a small keychain or all the little things yeah. really help create the whole brand story. Um, you mentioned that um, in working with some of these mentors, obviously you're currently building a brand in a different climate than they were. How, how would you describe the current climate for creating a brand? Like, what do you, what do you oh, mean by that? Uh, it's really, I feel like it's, yeah, where you spend your most time and where you put money. Yeah. So some of my mentor they have never invested in something like social media right right we haven't really put money into social media per se but especially being in vogue fashion fund some of the other brands they're 
only salary that they pay is an Instagram person. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and their salaries are so yeah. high. And that, to me, you know, something that's more important is a studio manager, mm-hmm. you know, someone who mends and washes and help. Every brand needs something a little bit different. But another thing I learned is through some of my mentors how big, how large their marketing budgets were and mm-hmm. how much they spend on their shows. Whereas we can kind of get away with working with smaller, you know, on smaller budgets. You um, don't need a massive spectacle necessarily no, and to, yeah, to we make don't the do, kind of noise you want to make. Of course. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's so different now. Like you just have to work with the right people, mm-hmm. um, really hone in on your brand image. So they might spend so much money on lights, but in this climate, like we know that we can show in a less, I mean, I showed, you know, at some of these larger venues also, but you can, a lot of brands show in a, on a basketball court or on yeah. the sidewalk yeah. and yeah. they create just as much noise. Are you focused on, um, say, furniture pieces as right. the center of some of what you've done and that's in collaboration yeah. with other designers but is also kind of in lieu of like a, I don't, some set design or, or something else? Or who's in the show. I mean, yeah, right. men's where a lot of people say, well, you have to have this name. It'll really mean something. For casting. If, yeah, for yeah. casting or... Um, people pay, that was eye opening to me out of college that people pay to be placed on celebrities. We, I don't think we will ever do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't so forget <laughs> it. Yeah. Stylist, um, stop calling. Yeah. Get your check I mean, somewhere else. We definitely loan, you know, we yeah. give celebrities. Oh, all right. So you can yeah. call her, but don't, <laughs> she's not taking your money. But that was, you know, learning that someone pays $20,000 to put a, a ring on a girl. Yeah. yeah. Nuts. Or, yeah. you know, yeah. a handbag or a pair of shoes or, um, and yeah, whereas we get so much better content and more interesting content by doing by putting money into a furniture collaboration with Green River Project, yeah, um, that hit such a higher level, you know, a higher caliber customer too. Yeah, you know, the people that are interested in what we're doing, it's not just like a quick turnaround trend-based Instagram post. Yeah. it was people buying our garments and our furniture for their homes in five different homes across the north you know what i mean like it just it was a more interesting substantial collaboration than trying to get on like wear a shirt post it post it and then give it to your little sister but i think i mean it definitely that's why there's no right way to do things i have friends whose brand you know they'll be placed on a model a significant face and they'll sell out across all it's just different men's we don't really see that kind of sell through on celebrity like you know especially not as much as women's or as much as a streetwear brand you know that's another thing from being in vogue fashion fund is learning that these guys who focus more on streetwear and they sell out x amount of shoes in three minutes then it's just yeah it's a whole different program a bodhi graphic tee would be pretty dope though (laughs) we did the india tees i don't know if you saw that's right um, but yeah, do we your have, homework, Noah. Good but Lord, like the logo, man. the logo I meant. Yeah, we have box logo. We haven't done box that. Yet. Put it in a box. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing that uh, I love about what you do, <clears throat> I really love about what you do, is that I feel like, so we've all had experiences where you fall in love with like a store or a designer or whatever, and you go and you're there. Uh, somebody's really brilliant at creating a world, and you go and you're like amidst the warm bath of the world and it's so amazing and then you seize on something and you buy it and then you get it home and the whole world doesn't come with you and all you have is a fucking (laughs) shirt you're like this is just a shirt like where's the smell and like can't why didn't that plant 
move to my to my apartment right. and all that kind of thing. I'm still sad inside. I'm still <laughs> I I've dumped all this money and all this time and I still have a hole in my soul. Um, but I feel like your clothes you get like a little piece of the spirit of what you do and it really does come with you. And so um, I'm wondering. Like how much? What happens? Is, are there moments in the development phase where you have an idea, but somehow it just doesn't like fully land, or it doesn't fully like capture quite the spirit of of what you do or what you're imagining? Yeah, I, I was definitely worried about that, especially going back to a graphic T-shirt. I mm-hmm. have been hesitant about it because I didn't think that you could get the brand identity, but. With the India tees, you kind of did because it serves as like a souvenir. It's not like it's a souvenir for the show, but also a souvenir for the brand. And it's kind of an interesting idea. Do you mind describing the or just telling oh. the story of the India tees a <laughs> yeah, little bit? Yeah, the India tees. So the entire collection was inspired by uh, artist Aaron Ajla's relationship to his family history of Indo Canadians. So coming from, I guess it was in the the exodus from India into British Columbia and then going back and bringing the rest of his family in in the 1940s, uh, his great grandfather, and then kind of having a relationship to India that is that of a tourist, but also um, having such a deep rooted family connection is where the idea of a souvenir shirt came from. And while I was in India, I found uh, their souvenir shirts, you know, littered all over the streets you know Mm -hmm. they're everywhere and I found one at a little kiosk and it had rust stains all over it and I was like do you have more of these and he brought out a whole you know a little packet of them and every single one had they were kind of mishaps from a factory like they Mm -hmm. had like stains and tears and so I was like I have to remake these teas and they're probably from the 1980s so it's an India graphic that we screen printed in Brooklyn with software studios which is a screen printing studio, I mean, a digital printing studio. Um, and it just, it made sense for me to mm-hmm. that to have that as my first graphic tee. Um, we definitely get pressure, you know, to do like a logo tee and try to figure <laughs> out how that would make sense for the brand. Because, yeah, again, we don't want it to be something that, it has to have that storytelling yeah. aspect to it. It can't just be like a quick a quick brand identifier, yeah. you know, it has Splash to it on and chip yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so that was a, I think that was a good first start for us to yeah. have something that's less of an expense to buy into, you know, for a customer yep. who's a new customer, the shirts are $128. Um, whereas our typical short sleeve shirts are start at like three ninety eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a great entry level price, but it, it also has a story to it um, right. and where it came from. And, yeah. Will mentioned smells. How do you handle smells? Oh my god! Some <laughs> of these quilts. How, do you have a special technique for like making spe- the the one of a kind piece made from old quilts? Mm-hmm. Um, you I'll, ozone treat them, just no. like Palo Santo, little like burning. We actually. So are you trying to steal trade secrets for <laughs> yeah, your brand? Yeah, for your burgeoning brand. We can talk offline if you'd rather. <laughs> <laughs> Sam can, or you can just say it. Sam can censor it. I do think the the trick is to keep 
our studio will, especially being in Chinatown, will quickly smell mm-hmm. if it, like it'll smell like not bad, but it'll smell kind of old. Yeah. Um, our building is really old, and so we try to keep the AC on, which mm-hmm. that has been. Some, I was always, I'm always cold, you know, mm-hmm. being from Atlanta, <laughs> but I've, I think I've adjusted, and now I'm like always hot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, when and you can feel it as soon as someone in the studio turns the AC to fan, you like feel it yeah. because it, you you smell the like the oldness of some of the textiles that we haven't washed or treated yet but a lot of them we soak a lot of things we try to wash if it can't survive in the wash we typically you know won't make something from it obviously we encourage you know special care and dry cleaning and everything yeah um but we do soak a lot of things we use a lot of um dryer sheets and Mm -hmm. more organic soaps and Mm -hmm. uh something interesting i found out that I mean, I use Tide, of course, but you have to know what soaps should be used on certain fabrics. And uh, some brands, the makeup even of contemporary brands, like you're not supposed to use certain soaps, which is really, really yeah. Mm. They need like to put that on the label. Something like I heard that Lululemon will smell if you use Tide. You have to, you can't use Tide. You know, and <laughs> the same goes for like Damn. antique textiles. You know, we use this British, this is a great one. It's called Napisan, uh-huh. like, and it's basically sanitizer for children's nappy, like nappies, the it's from England and we buy that on Amazon and that is a way to make all of our whites brighter and oh. yeah Emily Bodie dropping dimes on <laughs> I corporate love, lunch I love laundry Not be son. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no you're really speaking to Noah's language yeah. right now <laughs> I could go big on big time uh Noah have you been to the Bodie studio yet no what are you waiting on I actually um nothing <laughs> no I'm waiting to be invited no let's I invited. have I, I have um I was just thinking I have I do have some family heirlooms I would like to show you. Really? Yeah. yeah. Great grandfather's stuff that I have all these falling apart like World War One uniforms and stuff. Oh, that's amazing. So uh, I'll come by and we can uh It's such a vibe, maybe. dude. You don't seem like the enemy of vibes, that's why I just am surprised that you, ha- <laughs> you haven't been there yet. But I walked in I've been busy. Emily was there, maybe three people, three others working yeah, or so. Um a weekday evening smelled amazing there was some really good music playing uh a really incredible rug upon entry uh racks of beautiful Bodhi clothes and then a big shelf of fabric of vintage fabrics any of any one of which you can point at and emily will just like spin you a yarn mm-hmm. <laughs> you just you put a quarter in her pocket she just starts <laughs> telling textile stories um but uh the one of the cool things about what you do is customers can actually do this, right? Yep. Will you, yeah, will you we explain have, how that works. People reach out to us. Typically, again, social media is like a huge yeah. entry point for the brand. Uh, people DM us or reach out to us on Instagram. And your Instagram's really personal, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> for the most part, you it's, it, it it's your life and your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's, it's mostly awesome. me posting. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of time. I mean, I try to respond to all the instagram messages but a lot of times it gets handled by other people on the yeah. team um which is funny because sometimes it's like wait who is this and i'm like that was my friend and he yeah. responded like this really corporate like just message. sold him something yeah. <laughs> it's like you can pay via this link and i'm like oh god that's my best friend from high school <laughs> um you've changed Bodie. yeah um Damn. but no social media yeah reaching out on dm we take sales appointments so uh 
a lot of people i mean we're kind of coming out of the wedding world right now but Mm -hmm. this summer was just filled with a lot of wedding clients so we do a lot of custom stuff for men's if you know maybe it's what they wear after the you know at the rehearsal dinner or if what they wear after the ceremony tell them get married in it or call somebody else yeah no (laughs) Uh, i i enjoy the wedding thing especially because people want that little hint of oh can you embroider you know my name on it or uh people want that tradition or the some sort of secret on their clothing uh that's not just on the inside of a suit right we do do custom suits which is when you get a request um, for a custom dress do you say we haven't sorry not yet yeah you haven't had one no i would think people would ask we have celebrities ask for you know for red carpet stuff they're like can you do like a dress no not yet mm-hmm. <laughs> um soon we have a couple women's projects coming up cool. where we'll do capsules for certain stores but in terms of you know i'm always down to do something custom but for like a quick like red carpet thing it's a little yeah a wedding would make more sense mm-hmm. because that's a longer we have a couple months to like work on it right. and uh, but yeah the wedding thing it's it's the guys we have guys yeah. and it's both you know guys marrying girls and guys marrying guys Mm -hmm. so it's sometimes we get both partners in uh shopping for their weddings um but if you're a weird size or you have some amazing thing that was your great aunties Mm -hmm. or um you just want to come in and that's something to know i mean shop directly from you yeah of course and people come and pick off the shelves too so they'll say like i really want this african country cloth made into a shirt can you do long sleeve with no pockets and uh, I love doing custom customized work like that. And the size thing is true. I mean, it's hard to put every size online. Um, we have a lot of private clients who we do custom sizing. Uh, yeah. And that's that's a big one for women, too, because, uh, you know, sometimes our sizing doesn't reflect that mm-hmm. we sell to women online. Mm-hmm. Um, but men's, we have some athletes who their sizing is i mean they're insane yeah insane (laughs) (laughs) so they have to come into the studio and then uh we try to figure out like what shapes work best you know if the sleeves are gonna even look right if they're that much longer you're like we Um, could extend it but it might not it might not be the same shape yeah Um, Yeah. you know because you want to keep true to like the cut um or you know we have a lot of guys uh our customers older sometimes you know and he is very particular about the length of his shirt um and to know people that shop on mode operandi and some of these private clients where they are shopping on an e-commerce site but they want to try it on first we have a lot of customers a lot of people that come in for that so people that okay i saw this on you know totokayo's website like how do i know if it fits yeah but they have it at the seattle store you know something like that yeah and they can come in and try on clothes do you think that there's a way like if you project forward with the with the brand especially given the way that you've been growing so far do you think there's a way to protect that aspect of what you do or are you just gonna for the one of a kind or customization just the fact that you know people can book a private appointment at your studio and come in and um, yeah that's time consuming i know it can also be it is time consuming uh it it can also be uh lucrative for for Mm -hmm. you i'm sure but how do you yeah that work the goal is to open retail um so we don't have a set timeline on that right now but that is that's definitely the goal and bodhi shop man pretty yeah big vibe big vibe could there be a place to sit in there so i can come sit 
and listen to people <laughs> no just like uh, just oh my gosh are you talking about just, our chair people no, just say that we have like the most uncomfortable chair oh no, <laughs> really I <didn't> know. <laughs> <laughs> no i just want to like uh no so you've created yeah. a very evocative world and it would be awesome to spend more time there oh thank you yeah i mean we have people come and hang that's like a big part of our clientele mm -hmm. too you know they'll come and they'll have a beer and they'll hang and talk with us especially we have some of our customers who you know work in music and they'll come play us like their new album or what yeah, listening parties yeah, just low-key private yeah but no you can definitely come hang our our chairs we're trying to get more comfortable chairs a lot of them are vintage <laughs> make them work for it man you what gotta make your, them work do you for have it. a favorite album someone came and played for you oh gosh um name drop please. i cannot name drop oh. <laughs> why not <laughs> come uh, on Emily, you seem like the name dropping type no i you're really just, you I really exude that, that. Uh, like social climbing and name dropping seems like your vibe they'll appreciate the shout out no but we did right. this is a funny one my mom had to go pick up um a pair of trousers she picked up from bradford cox yesterday which was funny because yes. she loves bradford and she's like emily he is so sweet and real she picked it up at tech Rio soul in atlanta and it, that was a funny one to have like my mom go pick up from Bradford, who's yeah one of the best musicians I think of our time. This is the Atlanta that portion. Got, that, <laughs> Sam just yeah, said. we could do we could do a whole Taqueria del Sol <laughs> episode. We can do a whole deer deer hunter episode. Sam from the deep seats just co-signed the yeah. deer hunter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's today? Today's Wednesday. Big time. Should we talk about your party? Oh, yeah. Is that uh, cool? Mm -hmm. Party, party, party. Are our listeners invited to your party? Um, I would DM us first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> DM Sam Hines. Just, uh, That's a soft make, yes, maybe bordering sure, on a hard um, no. I'm a little terrified about what's going to happen. Um, no, but yeah, we're going to have a party on Friday where I'm in Vogue Fashion Fund, as I mentioned probably <laughs> like twice before. But we need to do something you know, for Fashion Week and do some sort of activation. Uh, so instead of, you know, showing a women's capsule, I think that this makes so much sense for us to do basically just a house party. So we're throwing a Chinatown house party. We have our friends. One of my closest friends from college is in a band called In India. Um, his Kurt Beers and Joe Beers, they're brothers. So they're going to play. Kurt and Joe Beers? Yep. They're already oh, the best man. dudes. They're already I'm my in. favorite dudes. Um, I'm in. We have Alistair Sow, who's my, he's been in all of my lookbooks. He's my number one model he's your guy slash friend uh yeah and so he's he's gonna dj we have mark armitano domingo which is botticelli angels is instagram he's a At wonder botticelli angels he's a uh he's cello. been in gq style a couple times yeah friend yeah. of the pod yeah he's wonderful so he's a gamba player mm -hmm. so he's gonna play some cello probably on the roof so yeah chinatown <sighs> sounds awesome to yeah. me <laughs> see you there just DM Sam Hine Productions and uh, yeah, DM <laughs> Sam. He'll handle it. <laughs> see if you can get on Sam's list. I got to see if I get myself on this list. Uh, you're you're not invited, Noah. I know. Emily, thanks for coming in to talk to us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Keep going, man. That's all I can say. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, episode forty, a big one. Thanks for being on episode forty. <laughs> See how happy he is about the number? Yeah. That's when people good. ask me, like, yeah, I was on episode 40 of that pod. Why? Because it's a round number? Doesn't matter. All right. Thanks, Emily.